Last yesterday, if you missed the picnic, you missed a party. It was a lot of fun. Any of y'all went to the picnic? Yes, that was amazing. Chuck, where were you? Were you there? No? Yeah, I thought you maybe breezed in and breezed out, you know? No, weren't there? It was a lot of fun. So we're playing these games, right? I'll just tell you this. Like, we're playing these games, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, we're playing against the kids because all the kids want to, like, challenge the adults. And so this little kid's team's over here, and then Matt drags me over and says, you're going to play this beanbag race or whatever it is. And I look at this kid, and I go, you think you're going to beat us? I go, you think you're going to beat us? And this little kid looks at me, and he says, well, you're an old man, so I think it's pretty obvious. I'm just like, cute kid, doink, I like ponder on the head. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know who taught him that, but that's, that was his thing. Hey, we're doing, I uh, want to welcome everybody watching by live stream, but you know what happened? We beat him. We beat him, and I'm like, what? What? Come on. I'd also like to state for the record that Matt had been training his God squad in Bible drills, right, all year long with the same Bible, and the God squad challenged the pastors and crew to a sword drill contest. And they had the same Bible. They had been practicing every week for probably a year. And we blew them out. And they were crying. They're upset. They're like, oh, you know, we didn't win. And Sherry looks at them and goes, well, then don't play against pastors. <laughs> How many did you lose, Shelly? Because we had to do one off one challenges in the Bible. Only one? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. One kid did beat me twice. But I would say the second time he beat me was because my page was stuck together. But over, I couldn't get the page open. I'm like, get the page open. Anyway, so, anyway. All good. It was fun. It was fun. All right, so we're glad you're here. So who wants 2023 to be different than 2022? Anybody here? Anybody with me? All right. Yes. So... They're kingdom principles. This is what I want everyone to understand. This is very important. They're kingdom principles. There are ways that God created, and that when we understand these ways and we move in these ways, then life begins to move with us. This is part of the message is on Zoe, this life. It's not just life, like biological life. It's animated life. We want the life of God, do we not? The Bible says his ways are life. Not just life this way, but life like an animated life. And so God creates principles. So there are principles that, like, so just to give you a couple of simple examples, one of the key principles is honor. Honor creates access. When we honor God, we access God. This is very, very important to know. A lot of people don't sense God's presence or don't even know that the Lord is there because they refuse to honor him. So we create, an, even in a worship environment, when you begin to honor the Lord through worship, you begin to access God and you begin to sense his presence. When you begin to honor God, even in your own private time or quiet time or however you want to word it, and you begin to honor God and praise God in your own time, you begin to access him. You begin to sense his presence in his spirit, right? When we don't honor the Lord, we don't access him. God's never far from you. The issue is never that the Lord has left you because he's never going to leave you. The issue is, is why you don't experience him is because there's no honor. So when we operate in the principle of honor, access happens. Same thing, that, that can play out in a, a lot of different ways too. Another principle that's truth is, is reciprocation. Everything God does, he does in a reciprocal way. The whole universe is created on reciprocation. In order for a farmer to receive a crop, he has to sow a seed. Is this true? You don't yell at dirt and you have to, you have to do something. You have to sow in order to reap. The water has to go up in order for it to come down. This is a principle of reciprocation. So this is another kingdom principle. And that's, this kingdom principle kind of plays out in the way that we have to participate with the Lord. We have to do the things that he says. We have to go that way. And as we participate with him and we give to him what he's requiring, the reciprocal blessing comes to us. This is a kingdom principle. Things don't happen by default. This kingdom operates in a system. He told Israel, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose what you will serve. This is in Deuteronomy. And he says, I will that you would choose life that you may live. But I cannot make you choose life that you may live. You have to make the choice. My ways are life. My ways will produce this. But I can't make you. I can't make you. So what's my point? My point is that this is a kingdom that works. This is a kingdom that is active. This is a kingdom that is alive. This is a kingdom that is present, and it works through principles. Another one of these principles is goals. Goal setting is a very important principle. 
It's throughout the Bible. It's not like in your face, like, hey, have some goals, even though it does mention it a lot. But there's principles that as you begin to direct your life in a direction, the Bible more relates more than goals. It relates more to vision. So it uses the word vision a lot more than it uses goals, but it's very similar in its, in its, in its approach. This principle's there, and it's been there. These principles are there. So one of the things coming into this year, if you want, say with me, if I want things to change, come on, you better not. If I want things to change, I must change. If I do not change, nothing is going to change, right? And so this is an important thing. So there's paths of life, there's paths of death. If you were here two weeks ago, I was talking about um, a 95% rule. 95% of people do nothing with their lives. <laughs> 95% of people do nothing with their lives. It goes even further. 95% of people consume content or even have the answers to their problems but never execute upon them. They don't do anything. They just don't do anything. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, I had a guy, I talked to him this week, and he's like, man, you know, and I mean, it was so blessed to hear that, like, oh, wow, somebody's actually doing something with what I say. This is great. And he was like, man, you wrecked me. I go, what, what wrecked you? And he said, when I listened to that message, he said, I realized I was the 95%. And I've been living as the 95% my whole life, you know. And he said, I'm the guy who, who understands all these things, but I don't do anything with it. It's interesting. So I talked to you about the guy. Anybody know who Guy, uh, guy Kiyosaki, is that his name? Robert. Guy Kiyosaki. Where did I get that from? I had it right in the first service, but I know who he is. Robert Kiyosaki, anybody know who he is? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, ever heard of that book? Anybody ever heard of that book? Okay, so the guy's a speaker. They, people look at him and they think he's like a stock investor. His number one source of income was always real estate. And so he tells the story, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, of how he learned real estate. He was a Marine fighter pilot. He got out of the Marines. He's used the GI Bill to start going to classes and going to school. And one of the classes he took was a real estate course and this big-time investor was there, and he said there was 100 people in the room. And he told the 100 people, he said, I want you to take this assignment for the next 30 days. I want you to go and find 100 properties, and I want you to evaluate 100 properties, and I want you to come back to me with the evaluation of those 100 properties. I want you to send it to me. How many, how many, how many of those people do you, how many of the 100 actually did the assignment? Anybody want to guess? One. Who said five? Five, how, no? Three is the answer. Three. Three. So this guy, this guy, they're all there to learn. They want the content, but they don't want to do anything with it. Everybody wanted to learn, but they didn't want to do whatever it takes. And so of those three, of those three people that actually did it, they flew, this guy flew them to his property, to wherever it was he was. He brought them all to his house. And these three people that actually did the assignment, and this guy laid out for Robert his entire business plan. He showed him how he did it. He showed him exactly all of, all of the tools that he needed. This guy gave it to the three people that actually did the work. Do you know why? Because he's not investing in people that don't want it. You understand? You can't even do an assignment, and you want me to give you the keys. You can't even do the simple things, and you want me to open that door for you. He didn't do that. He brought the three in. And Robert used that guy's package to build a real estate empire. Literally, the guy showed him how to, you know, I don't know, move money, the whole, the whole nine. He showed him how to do it. But the point being is that 97, 97 out of 100 people in the room didn't do, didn't do anything. They all listened to the same thing. All of them got the same challenge. They all kind of like, oh, about that. Oh, man, I got a Netflix show I got to watch, man. The new episode just came out today. I got to go. I got to get home and do that. They all chose a different path over the, other than that one. Everybody, the, the first question you have to ask yourself is, do you want to change? In order for you to get to where you want to be, from where you are to where you want to be, the bridge is called change. Change is a four-letter word to a lot of people. We like things to stay the same. We like things to be familiar. We don't like change. But change is what brings us to the other side. We have to change. If we've been in a circumstance for any period of time, the issue isn't there. I'll share you another story with you. There's another guy that I know, and I've, I've read his books and things about him, and he, he talks about when he was 26 years old, he met a guy, and this guy, he wanted this guy to mentor him, right? Mentor me, mentor me. And, you know, my life's a mess. I've, you know, it's a train wreck. And so he sits down with a guy, and he interviews him. And, he, and the guy's like, okay, well, let me, let me see. And he, so he started, this guy was willing to do it. And, and uh, he said, I want you to make a list of every excuse you have as to why you haven't succeeded 
or done the things. First, he asked him his goals and things like that. And he said, now I want a list of all of the excuses and all of the reasons that you understand there to be as to why you have not been able to get where you want to get. So great. He writes a list. He comes and he meets with this guy. He says he was sitting at lunch with him in a cafeteria and he, sh- he gave him the list. So the guy just kind of went his, he ran his finger down the list. He said there was probably 50 or 60 excuses or reasons. I don't come from a good enough family. I don't have enough educational background. Um, you know, the market conditions weren't right. I didn't have anybody supporting me. He went on down the list of all of the excuses. And he said, you're missing the most important reason why you have not succeeded. And do you know what that was? Anybody want to guess? Himself. He said, all of the excuses why you haven't succeeded are on here, and the most important one isn't you. You. You're the reason why you've not succeeded. (gasps) People don't want to hear this. Say this with me. Excuses. Oh, come on. I know I'm going to discourage you. I'm here to encourage you. Excuses are the language of poverty. Yeah. And the reason that's true is because most people, most people believe that their life is controlled by outer forces. Every excuse this guy had on his list was a reason outside of himself for why he was in the position that he was in and why he couldn't, he couldn't succeed. Every excuse. Successful people, and this is, again, this is a very true biblical truth, they don't run their lives by the outer world. They run their lives by the inner world. They're not moved by circumstances. That's, none of these things move me. You know, we pass through things. When you understand who and what you are, and you understand that this, we're in this world, but we're not of it, this thing may, things may happen to us, but we are able to move through these things and overcome. That's a very biblical principle. And so what, what successful people understand is that their lives are not determined by outer forces. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's, what, 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 what's around them. It doesn't matter what failures they've had or what they don't have. It's what they do have. And they begin moving forward from that. And they begin to understand that the inner world is what determines their future more than the outer world. That's the truth. You're the excuse. So what's the excuse? I don't know what I'm doing. Great. Let's learn. I'm fearful. Great. Let's learn to overcome. But you're the excuse. I associated with the wrong people. Great. Let's make some better decisions. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Oh, if I, you know, those people, they did me wrong. Well, where are you in that equation? Who associated with them? Did you? Okay, so it was you who made that relationship. So ultimately, you're the one. People don't want that. Some, I think it was Nitsky. I was just I was reading a lot of stuff on crazy stuff lately. I can't remember who said what, but I'm, you know, but there's a, one of the one of these um, old psychologists said you can determine a person's maturity by the amount of truth they can receive. You can tell how mature you are by the amount of truth that you can receive. And the biggest truth at all is you're the problem. Uh. I thought it was, you know, no, other people affect you, but at the end of the day, you determine, you can move past that. You can keep going past that. It's just it's true. It's the way it is. So this is what determines success. And if you're, you're going to look down the list and you're going to make every excuse and you're going to believe that your, your life is determined by the outer world, then you're, you're missing the point entirely. Fortunes have been made in down economies. If you look at the history of business, we just put this on a purely financial plane. You can look at collapsing economies and fortunes were made. <laughs> Fortunes were made, you know, and it's because those types of people weren't moving through the outer circumstances. They were moving through the inner world. They had specific goals, and those goals showed them the opportunities, and when they saw the opportunities, they took them. True. Most of the industrialized America was built out of 1932 crash. Do you know how many billionaires were built out of the real estate crash and the savings and loan crash of the 80s? I don't know if anybody remembers that. I was a kid but I remember that early 80s, late, late, late 80s, 90s. It was a big savings and loan crash. And all of this wholesale real estate came on the market. Billions of dollars were made out of that. People became billionaires out of that, where everybody else was pulling away, don't want to touch it, too risky, whatever. Those people understood the opportunity and they took it. So for them to look and say, oh, well, the economy's bad or this is bad or they made all the excuses. You have to begin with yourself. If you can't do that, you got to say, okay, here's where I'm at. I've done some really stupid things. And that's what this guy said to this guy, that, this book that I was reading. This guy was saying, he told me, this guy's 26 years old. He said, how long have you been in business? And a guy said, since I was 19. And he said, so for the last seven years, you've screwed your life up. 
For the last seven years, you've made a complete mess of yourself. He said you can completely turn. This is a, st- uh, this is a statistical fact, by the way. You can completely turn your life around within five years. Within five years. You're like, five years? Are you crazy? That's so long. That's so long. Five years, you'll turn your whole life around. And the guy was, and he said, that he, you know, basically it looks something like this. You've spent 40 years screwing it up. Five years is a pretty good return. You spent seven years screwing it up. Five years is a pretty good return. That's a pretty good return. I'm talking about a complete turnaround, you know, and you have to do it in steps. People overestimate what they can do in a year. You can completely reset your body. You can re- completely reset your health in five years. You're like, well, Jenny Craig said I can do it in 90 days. Jenny Craig don't know what she's talking about. You know what I'm saying? You go to Jenny Craig, Jenny Craig don't do it, and anything that happens on Jenny Craig, it doesn't last very long. You have to reset your body. You know, you can completely reset your health and your body. So here's what happens. This is what most people don't know. This is what most people don't want to do. What happens is, when we like, so just if you want to reset, let's just talk about health, right? I'm not even on my notes yet, but let me just, is this a good conversation? Are we having a good one? I'm trying to help you. All right, all right. So like, let's say you want to reset your health, right? Because it's like, I try to not make everything about money. Business is like, kind of like my framework, so I tend to talk in those decisions, but I realize it's like, this is more practical than just, than just money, right? So let's say I want to reset my health and I want to reset my body. What's going to happen is I'm going to take that out over a period of years. And within three to five years, I'm going to completely reset my body. I'm not just going to set, reset the, 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 you know, the shape of my body or the whatever. I'm going to restore my body to its natural processes where the body will heal itself. What people don't understand is that the body first, the, when, the, when the body isn't doing anything, it repairs itself. But when the body is occupied with other things, like toxins, that's what it's dealing with. And so much of our diet, so much of our health, so much of other things is that we toxify our bodies and your body is working overtime and overload trying to deal with all the toxins that you keep cramming into it and it never gets to the point of of healing itself. Therefore, the body degrades. That's what happens. That's why people's health goes downhill. It's because they're consuming the wrong thing and the body is fighting to get rid of the toxins. You understand that? And so what happens when your body is in a neutral state, your body naturally, and if you're, and you give it the right, the right amount of ammunition, your body will naturally begin to repair itself. This is a fact. This is, this is, this is a truth. And literally, you, you have a cellular, like a complete cellular recycle. I don't know how to get one of the doctors up here. We've got several doctors here. But it's truth. Your, 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 your cells will turn over every seven years. You can turn the whole cellular system of your body over in seven years. But if you're still eating junk, what kind of cells do you think you're reproducing? The same junky cells you had for the last seven years. But if you will take a pattern of time and and take that over a time and begin to set a different course and a different lifestyle, you're not only going to reset every, we're all fixated with weight, you know? What if it's about health and restoration, right? What if your body, what if it's just moving off of toxins, or anything that's toxic to your body and moving into something more healthy so that, or even eating in a more healthier way or digesting in a more healthier way so that your body comes into a position where it begins to repair itself. Does that make sense to you? That, you're not doing that in 90 days. Yeah? You know, 15 years of McDonald's isn't going to go away in 90 days. I'm going to do a colon cleanse. That's what somebody told me one time. I'm like, you can do all the colon cleanses you want, man. It isn't going to help. What you're actually doing is you're releasing so many toxins at one time, your liver and your kidneys get overwhelmed. You have to detoxify your body over a period of time. It takes about 18 to 24 months to do a detox. And you got to start going on the downward cycle of detoxing your body. you got to start eliminating things. And it takes time. It takes time. We all want quick results. What happens? People detox their body. All these toxins go crazy in their body and creates all sorts of imbalances because you're detoxing so quickly. You have to do it slowly. That's another thing. So we all want it now. If you could turn your whole life around financially in five years, financially, your whole year, your whole life in five years, is it worth it? Five years. If you could turn your relationships around in five years, if you could turn your future around in five years, if you could be a dynamic person in this kingdom within five years, is that worth the investment? That's insanely worth the investment. But only 5% do it. (laughs) But it's possible. It's possible in real time. And it begins, you have to build, 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 build big. Build, 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 build. 
We just did a Bible study in the leadership class on Nehemiah. I got the privilege of teaching that, so I'm very grateful for that. But I was talking about, like, everybody talks about what Nehemiah did. And that Nehemiah, you know, like Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days. He built the wall in 52 days. And I'm like, yeah, but he was governor of, the, of Jerusalem for 12 years. And so Nehemiah didn't just build the wall in 52 days. He stayed there and built the infrastructure of that city over 12 years. He put the roads in. He put the, the civil system in. He was the governor of Jerusalem for 12 years. And so we all go, he did it in 52 days. Yeah, he did the wall in 52 days. And there's reasons for that, but the long-term goal of the infrastructure he did over 12 years. It takes time. Your father's a god of process. He built the earth in seven day, six days, and he rested on the seventh. He could have did. I always tell people he could have did it in one. I, I got an even bigger notion. He didn't even need time. It could have just showed up. But God chose to create time, limit Himself, and work within the order of time to teach us that this is how things are done. It's worked within order, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's built. It's, it's, it's a different type of thinking than particularly the American culture, the Instagram culture, the Facebook culture, the YouTube culture. Like first service, I said, this guy, I, like a lot of these gurus are on there. They're like, you want to find out how I made $10 million? Send me $5,000 and I'll tell you how. That's exactly how he made $10 million, by getting enough people to send him $5,000 to tell him how. You know, everybody thinks it's now. It's not now. You can build it out over a lifetime. It doesn't matter what age you're at. You can do something like, okay, Henry Ford was in his 50s when he started Ford Motor Company. So if you're some 60-year-old or some, somebody late in their 60s or like, I'm on the last, you're the last, even if you say you're on my, I'm on my last decade, it can be the greatest decade of your life. Right? P.T. Barnum was at 65 when he started, when he started the circus. Anybody know who P.T. Barnum is? Barnum and Bailey Circus? The brother was 65 years old. Colonel Sanders? Yeah, Colonel Sanders that didn't, you know, we, we all know Colonel Sanders, right? Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. Depends, they change it all the way around, you know, different, different KFC, you know, the, the Colonel, or whatever. He was in his 60s when he started the Kentucky Fried Chicken. He had nothing but a life of failure, but he didn't quit. So it, it's not an issue of age. Get these, there again, there's an excuse. Say it with me. Excuses are the language of poverty. Right? Get rid of your excuses. Get rid of your excuses. You have to get rid of your excuses. If you don't change, nothing is going to change. Do you want to change, and are you willing to do what it takes? Everybody wants to change. Not everybody's willing to do what it takes. You know, I want to change. I want to change. I want God to bless me financially. Start giving. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. God knows I can't do that. Give the full tithe. Don't give the Ananias and Sapphira tithe and say, I gave it when you didn't. That's a lie. You didn't do that. Eh? Give the full tithe. I've had people tell me, oh, I've given the tithe for three weeks and nothing's changed. And I was telling them, give it for 12 months and come back to me. Give the full tithe, the whole tithe, the full 10%. Don't Ananias and Sapphira, oh, we gave, we gave, and they didn't. We all know how that worked out, right? Give it fully for 12 months. Put a stick in your teeth and a knife in your, put a, stick, a rag in your head, a stick in your teeth and a knife in your hand and say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not moving off this. I'm giving whether I want to or not. I'm going to put God to the test, which is what he challenges you to do, and I'm going to see it happen. It's not, you don't doing it for me, you're doing it for him, and watch what he does. Watch what he does. I just had a girl for a service. She's a nurse. She's a nurse, and she's doubled her income last year. Don't ask me how. She didn't tell me how. She said, feel free to use any testimony. She's like, I have so many testimonies from this church. She's like, you can feel free to use any and all of them that you, that you want to use. And she walked up to me and told me that, like, after first service. She said, my income doubled last year. She said, it's, she said, I couldn't believe it. And I said, well, you need to believe it. And so we started talking back and forth about a bunch of different things. But nonetheless, you're never going to see miracles if you, don't, if you don't approach it that way. God's going to bless me. Say this with me. Three tears to the kingdom. <laughs> okay, so second service. I'm trying to bring myself into a structure, and I feel like I just want to have a talk, but I keep trying to bring myself into a structure. So this is like the inner monologue going on with myself. Structure it, Kevin. Structure it. And I'm like, yeah. But, you know, anyway. So I'm going to try to be more disciplined. It's second service, so I tend to loosen up a little bit, you know? So just bear with me. There's three tiers to this kingdom. There's survival. Say it with me. Survival. Success. And significance. You can live at whatever level you choose. But 
God will never bring you past survival until you start participating with his kingdom. You will not. You don't have to worry. Your bills will be paid. You'll make it by the skin of your teeth. Anybody with me? Come on. You've made it by the skin of your teeth, right? You know. You know what I'm talking about. God's going to be faithful. You ever been completely faithless to God and he's still been faithful to you? You're in a bad place and he still takes care of you and you're just like, what? Because he guarantees you survival. You'll make it. You'll go through some probably bad situations, but God will deliver you from the bad situations. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You burn your whole house down, and then all of a sudden, God still gives you a do-over. He gives you a mulligan. You can come back. Most people live hand-to-mouth, and Christians oftentimes live by the skin of their teeth. And even if, they're not, even if they're not impoverished financially, they're oftentimes impoverished in the soul, in the spirit, in their relationships. There's a weakness or a gap there somewhere because they don't want to get on page with what the Lord is doing. But God will not move you past survival until you start participating. It just That's the way it works. And so for you, what is success? Success simply means this. So survival means you just got enough. You're barely making it. You're barely getting by. You're barely holding on. I'm just there. I'm only there, right? Even people do that spiritually. They spiritually survive. Oh, I'm just barely making it. I'm just barely making it. Why? Because they don't participate in the communion with the Spirit. They use Jesus as their bellhop or they use him as their first responder. And that's why they're always in this situation where God is coming up and doing triage, you know, binding up the wound, you know, putting them on a gurney, wheeling them over here, you know, taking care of them. And they're always in a triage situation and they're always in a first responder situation because they're not in a communal relationship with the Lord. They keep doing it their way, keep wanting to go down these roads. The same thing, especially financially, you see this where people stay at the level of survival. What Christians don't understand, right? <laughs> and I'll say this to all the YouTube people. I've been reading some of my YouTube um, comments, which isn't always a good thing to do. However, I've been reading, and one guy's like, you're so full of it. <laughs> he didn't tell me what I was full of, but he's like, you're so full of it. And I was like, what, what video is he looking at? And I looked at it, and I'm talking about how the Holy Spirit talks to us. And I'm like, really? You know, I'm like, Okay. You know, there's a few things that I think maybe you could say that to me, but not that one. But anyway, this is funny. So what Christians don't understand is this, this is where somebody's going to go, you're so full of it, is that we are symbiotically bound to this kingdom. When you become born again, you are not bound to this world. You are bound to his. You understand? Which is an amazingly powerful thing because you are separated from the course of this world. You are separated, provided you come into an alignment and an agreement with the world that you were truly born into. But most believers cannot break that. They can't break away. They believe that the stock market is their source. They believe that their real estate income is their source. They believe that their job is their source. None of those things are your source. The Holy Spirit is your source. And so they're constantly chasing it out here when this is where the power lies. But that power, your financial income is not relegated to your customer base. God will bring the customers to you if you'll get on page with him. And you start giving. That's, you want to get on page with God financially, you got to tithe. You don't have to tithe for me. But, you know, and again, oh, we don't have to tithe. No, you don't have to tithe. You absolutely don't have to tithe. You, Jesus affirmed it, but he gives it to you as a grace act. In the Old Testament, they were mandated to. In the New Testament, you're challenged to. Jesus said, you should tithe. Yes, this is true, but you must also do the weightier works of the law, which is mercy and justice and kindness. He affirmed the tithe. He never took it away. Never. New Testament church was first fruits, first day. On the first, fruit, on the first day, each one bringing the first fruits in proportion to their income. Well, that sounds like the church gathering and giving their first fruits. That's what it sounds like to me, which is the 10%. It's exactly there. It's not mandated in the New Testament, but James does, does say this. You are double-minded in all your ways. What happens is, is God says, I bless you through this system. And you say, I don't believe that, and I don't want to participate that way. I'm going to do it this way. And you're free to do so. However, you're double-minded in all your ways. And the Bible says the person who's double-minded, double-mindedness says, the Lord says this, and you say that. That's double-mindedness. He's saying here, you're going here. And the Lord says, let that person understand that they will receive what? Nothing from the Lord because you're double-minded. I said this, you say that. It's the way it works. It works relationally. You've got people who move in with their boyfriends or move in with their girlfriends or love the one they're with and they want God to bless that relationship. It's not going to happen. 
Why? Because the Lord says, it looks like this. And you say, no, it looks like this. He's not going to bless it. You're not going to hell, you know, because you're shacking up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You're not going to hell. Write that down. You're not going to hell for that. Your life may become a hell because of that, because God's not going to bless it. There's been several people, even in this church, and I'll have to say this because I've already, you know, opened the door to this. So, you know, several people in this church that were living together and they got married. And, all, and, it, and the testimonies that come back to me are like crazy, like our whole relationships. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, exactly. It doesn't mean it solves all your problems, but it enables God to now integrate himself in the relationship. He will not integrate himself in the relationship on your terms. Well, God understands. We love each other. Yeah, God understands, and he commands you to go differently. He commands you. The Bible says he overlooks ignorance. Repent, he overlooks sin through ignorance. But when knowledge comes, he commands repentance. He commands it. So when you know that this is wrong, you are commanded to make it right. I've had couples, too, the same thing. They either break up or they get married or they stop coming here. And that's not because I'm trying to beat somebody down. I'm simply trying to get people on God's. I'm like, you know, I don't even care. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's irrelevant. I care about Jesus' honor and Jesus' purposes, and that's what I'm faithful to. What the people do with it is what the people do with it. I'm just, the, I'm the guy pointing the way. I'm the guy saying like this. I'm not the holiness keeper. I'm not in everybody's business trying to read everybody's mail. You know, you want to you put TNT under your life and detonate it? That's up to you, right? You want to drink poison? That's up to you. You want to you put yourself in corrupting circumstances and situations? That's up to you, you know? Doesn't mean you're not loved. Doesn't mean you're not even, you know, I have people like, oh, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I understand that. I had a person come to me with her boyfriend and they were living together and they'd been living together for like three years. And, you know, they'd been coming here and, you know, I don't know what's going on with them. I don't, I don't really know. And I didn't know they were even living together. So, which it, even if I did, it doesn't matter to me. She sits me down and she says, I'd like to talk to you about this. I'm like, okay, well, where's it going to go? And so we talked about it and I looked at him and he wanted to be there too. And I said, look, are you a, are you a Christian? I said, you claim Christ as Lord? And he said, yes. And I said, so if you claim Christ as Lord, then you are under his obedient authority. You're under his authority. And you know that what you're doing here is not what God wants. And I said, so you got two choices. You either put a ring on it or you decide to go a different way. Well, he decided to go a different way. You know, that was what he decided to do, which either way, it works out. Do you understand this? Am I, am I offending someone here to the degree that they don't, you know, get mad? It's not my way, it's God's way. The point is, is you're a Christian. You can live outside of this kingdom or you can integrate yourself into this kingdom. Somebody's like, we're in the kingdom, Kevin. You're in the kingdom. That's fine. You can be on a golf course, but you can still be in the way. You know, you can, you can be in a lot of places, but you can completely be out of order and not be in the right place and not be doing the right things. So you may be born again in, in a kingdom and you may be an heir to eternal life, but you may be completely off course in what God is telling you to do. That's the difference. Say this with me. No one, come on, no one can make me the person I don't want to be. Nobody can make you the person you don't want to be. No amount of accountability, no amount of discipleship, no amount of anything can turn you into what you don't want to be. You either want to live as a son of your father or you don't. You either want to live as a daughter of your father or you don't. And in living as a son or a daughter of your father, it means we go our father's way. We do what our father says. And it even means a greater, there's a greater aspect that, to that. To me, it means to expect what my father says I can have. I have expectation. God has very bold promises and very bold declarations for his people, and he wants his people to have them. It's not God's will that his people live at survival. That is not God's will. It's not his will. His will is that you succe you're successful, but his ultimate role is that you be significant. Success means you have more than enough. Success means your life is moving forward in a consistent direction, and you have more than enough. Survival means you're in chaos all the time and you're just bouncing from one crisis to another and you're waiting for the next one to begin and you never have enough. You never have enough. You know, that's what that's survival. Success, my life is consistently moving forward and I have more than enough. Significance is you're in a place where you can do something that what you do goes boom. You can do something that's significant. God ultimately wants his people in significant positions. 
That's what he wants. But he can't even get them out of survival mode. Because then nobody thinks they got to do what he says. <laughs> Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Yeah, It's not doing what he says. This is the deal. We do this and we constrain people in this like, God doesn't love you. And if you don't do what he says, he's going to bash you on the head. That is not true at all. You don't receive the consequences of God's not judging you for not doing what he says. Sin is judged. So when you don't do what God says, you come under sin, right? And there's different ways of looking at not the sin of condemnation, but the sin of missing the mark. And so when you, when you decide you're going to do this, you're now going to reap the consequences of that decision. Don't be mocked. God, not, whatever a person sows, that was, was what they reap. So when you put yourself in that position, you're not, oh, God's judging me because I didn't show up in church. No, God's judging me because I don't, you know, I don't do this. No, God's not judging anyone. This again, here comes the mind-blowing concept. The Lord never judged Adam. He judged sin. Cursed be the ground for your sake, Adam. Right? You're now under a ground. You're now under a system that there is a curse upon. Jesus redeems us from the curse. We come out from under the curse, and we come into Christ. We're no longer in under condemnation. We're in Jesus. But even as a Christian, we can still operate according to a fallen system. And when we operate according to a fallen system, we get fallen results. If that makes sense. Am I making sense? Yes, you guys are getting really quiet on me. <laughs> trying to help you. Trying to help you. Am I helping you? Am I helping anyone? <laughs> I just want you to see the contrast. And I want you to see, just like that guy said, you're the number one issue on the, on, the, on the chart. It's not the Lord. Oh, God's against me. Who told you that? You know, it has nothing to do with that. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't find that. It's not, it's not there. Goal setting is a spiritual responsibility. So here's Philippians 3. It says this. I know that I'm not yet what God wants me to be. How many knows that? Right? I haven't reached that goal, but I keep pressing towards that mark in order to make it mine that Christ has made for me. I haven't reached my goal, but there's one thing I do. One thing I do, I forget what is past, and I reach forward for what is ahead. I keep my eyes focused on the goal so that I may one day win that prize that Christ has called me to receive in the life to come. All of you who are spiritually mature, say it with me. All who are spiritually mature should have this mind. So the Bible's talking a lot about goals right here. Now, Paul ultimately is talking about the goal that we be met, be follow and become like Christ. So here's the first goal of our lives is that we become like Jesus. How? Means we start wearing robes and sandals? No, that's not what, what, what it means to be like Jesus. It means that we become like Jesus in our nature. We become like Jesus in our heart through the Spirit. We become like Jesus in our mindset, in the way that we think, Right? This is how we are. And it be, we, we become like Jesus in the, in the actions that we have, or better yet, as sonship and daughtership. One of the things that Jesus modeled is he modeled what it means to be a son before the Father. And you can play the same thing into that, ladies. It can mean he, Jesus modeled what it means to be a daughter before the Father. Right? The son can do nothing unless he's told, I, I'm on my father's business. I'm on my father's agenda. I do what the Spirit tells me. He's modeling that for us because he's God. That's another story. I'm not going to get into all that. But nonetheless, that's the model. So when we become like Christ, it means that we relate to our Father as Jesus would have us to, that we're daughters, sons and daughters before our Father, and that means the way that our heart is, our nature is, what God wants from us on the internal world, and the way that we think and perceive things. And that's another story. So this is what God wants, but Paul's talking about goals here. He's talking about set the goal, move towards the goal, reach for the goal, don't worry about anything else. Say this, everyone ends up somewhere... Few end up there on purpose. <laughs> you're going to end up somewhere, and you get to decide if you're going to end up there on purpose. Say this. I will either set the course of my life. Come on, help me out. Don't be the 95%. Come on. I will either set the course of my life, or it will be set for me. Say this. I will either define my life, or it will be defined for me. The idea that God's going to do whatever God's going to do, is not, that's not true. Who do you want to be? Where do you want to go? This is, a, this is the idea. If either you're going to define the direction of your life or people with more ambitious goals are going to define them for you. And that's a fact. I tell people even in relationships, I'm like, you have to define the relationship. 
You either define the terms of the relationship or one, one or both parties or somebody in that relationship is going to define it. So you've got to define the relationship as to what it is. You've got to define your life or it will be defined for you. Your ultimate, so it's ultimately to be like Jesus. You've got to take a hard look at your life and find out areas that are not in sync. I'm not going to get into that. So one of the things that goals, goals do is that goals create faith. And goal setting is a spiritual responsibility, and goals create faith. Why? Because if you create a goal, that goal creates risk. You now must take a risk. And if you take a risk, that risk requires faith, and faith pleases God. Does this make sense? Okay, so I'm not even going to talk financially. I'll use the same one I used in first service. If my goal for the year is to have a better relationship with my wife, if my goal for the year is to have a better relationship with my marriage, it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to risk, right? Men, you're going to have to risk. I have to risk vulnerability, and I have to re risk intimacy. Now, let's just say I've been taking advantage of her and not truly valuing her for who she is for a period of time. And now, all of a sudden, I've had this revelation, and I have this goal that I'm going to be a different person. Now, I have to risk my vulnerability, and I have to start treating her differently or talking to her differently. Well, most likely what's going to happen is she's going to be in shock and awe at that. She's not going to trust me, and she's going to start firing a few arrows at me, doo, 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 you know? And so, after, so what I'm supposed to do, and I can either react to the arrows that she just fired at me, or I can pull the arrows out, and I can go back and risk again, because this is my goal. So when you have a goal, it's going to require risk. Risk in a relational sense, when men want to change their marriages or their work, we're going to, they have to change themselves. This is another point that I think needs to be repeated. Oftentimes, especially in relationships, is that men are looking for the woman to change. She's not going to change. The odds are you have to change. God always begins with the man. It doesn't mean that the woman's right at all. That doesn't mean that. He begins with the dude. Why? Because women tend to be responders and women tend to be amplifiers. Now, until this person changes, nothing's going to change in my environment. Until I change, nothing's going to change. So if a man is married to a woman and he gives her trouble, she's going to amplify that trouble. <laughs> Many a time in my life I've said to myself, why did I say that? <laughs> but if you give her love, she's going to amplify the love. This is what happens. And I see it even with my wife, you know, and I, I you know, well, I'll take the opportunity to publicly because she's sitting right there. So I have to take the, you've got to score points where you can, guys, so this is the idea. It's like I'll take the opportunity, like even the things is like I was, I've been trying to tell her, like I've been taking it, I, I take you for granted. Now, it's not like I take her for granted all the time, but I have been taking her for granted. I'm not seeing the value, you know, recently. I wouldn't say overall, it's not been like, we wouldn't be married if that was the case. But like, I, I, haven't, I haven't been really understanding the value that she brings into my life or the love that she gives to me. And I haven't been, I haven't been doing that. So I have to tell her that, like, look, I've taken it for granted. I'm sorry, and I'm wrong. But in order for that to happen, I have to risk vulnerability and I have to allow her to basically maybe even vent to me the anger that she feels at the way that I haven't treated her right. She's like, well, I'm glad you've come to this conclusion. I've only been saying this for six months and I've got to, I've got to, I've got to deal with that. And I've got to be willing to take the responsibility in order to achieve that goal. Is that the goal that I want? Yes, that's the goal that I want. But when I give her love, she amplifies it and she takes care of me in way more ways then, I mean, I'm almost, I, I, I've told her before, I'm embarrassed because she loves me more than I can love, you know. And it's like just the way that she expresses love because women are amplifiers. You know, well, I don't understand why she freaks out so bad because you're giving her trouble, bro. She amplifies, right? She's got issues. Yeah, well, she may have issues, but she's also an amplifier. Why don't you give her some good instead of giving her trouble? Why don't you give her some love instead of giving her trouble and let her amplify that? That's how God's created the woman. Ladies, you all know that. You know, you, you know, you, you love like here, he loves here and you like, like you're like here. You know, when the woman feels she's loved, she just goes when she feels like she's hurt or disrespected. It's not even disrespect or unloved. This is what drives women crazy. Unloved. That is a very unloving thing. You know, that's what. Go so that's the point. But my point is, is if my goal is to do that, then I have to risk. I have to risk. You understand? If my goal is to make more money, I have to, you know, we can go down that lane, but that wasn't the lane I chose to go down today. I wanted to go down this, that one because I think people can relate to that a little bit more. Your goals require faith, and goal, faith requires, and goals will cause you to risk, and risk creates faith. 
according to your faith, so be it unto you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. You get to choose where you want to go. You got faith? You know, I have faith that I can, do, I can have a relationship that I never had. I have that faith. I have that faith, and I'm willing to risk it. So I go there, right? That's, that's the idea. Goals create focus. What happens if you have a magnifying glass and sunshine? Anybody know? The guys in the room are going to know this. Yeah, you, you got fire. Exactly. Focus creates fire, right? And so one of the things that goals create is goals create focus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, I don't run like a, without a goal. I'm not a boxer who's just swinging and beating the air. It's like I'm actually doing something with, with, with a purpose. I'm not, just, I'm, not, I'm not playing air guitar, basically, is what he's saying. What a goal does is a goal gives you the focus, and it gives you the ability to say yes and the ability to say no. The biggest detriment to our lives is either we're distracted or we waste time. This is the big thing. Why we can, what happens in people's lives is they're either distracted or they're wasting time. That's why you can't move forward. Well, you're distracted a lot of times because you don't have a goal. You're distracted a lot of times because you don't know what the objective is, right? There's no, 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 nothing there. So these things, you, you get pulled over here and pulled over here. Then you're also distraught. You don't have a goal, so you waste a lot of time. When you have goals, you, you tend to be motivated. You tend to let, so like, again, going back to the relationship thing, like, if I'm provoked and I want my marriage to be different and I want a different relationship with my wife, and even when I'm, I have to tell myself I'm not going to be that person, so I'm saying no to the person that I was because my goal is not to be that person anymore, and I start to say yes to the person that I'm going to be. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be less reactive, so I'm not going to react here. I'm going to handle myself differently because that is not the person I want to be, and this is the person I want to be because my goal is not to remain the same. My goal is to be different. And so what a goal does is it helps you to determine your yes and your no. You understand that? So it's like, okay, I'll use another one. And hopefully this is a little bit more on the positive side from, from my, because I'm trying to throw myself under the bus here a little bit to help you guys. But is that Jesus calling? <laughs> so uh, I love saying that. Anyway, just kidding. But so like I'll go on, I'll go on, um, I go on walks in the morning, right? I go on walks in the morning just to hear the Lord. You know, Shelly had to deliver something to me there. And she's like, where are you? She's like, I'm like, I'm way down. And she's like, that's you way down there. I'm like, yeah, that's me way down here. So I, I go on these walks in the morning just to not just to try to set my heart right because I have to have a bearing. And I try to hear the Lord and I try to connect myself to the Lord um, in the deepest way I possibly can in that day. That becomes a yes to me. There is no other yes. That, that is my morning. There's no other yes before that. Maybe take the garbage out, but that's about it. There's no other yes before that. That is my Yes. Because my goal is to center my heart where God wants it to be, and my goal is to connect to him because it's going to affect the rest of my day. That is my yes. You understand that? And so I say no to everything else. It's like, hey, I need you to do that. And I'll be like, I'll do it in an hour and 15 minutes. I'm not doing that. You have this. It's not going to happen before this time because that's not my yes. That's my yes. Do you understand what this means? It determines your yes. It, it, that's, that's what goals do. Goals get you moving and, and um, provide hope. Job says this, I have no strength to go on. I do not have any goals that encourage me to carry on. When you have a goal, you have encouragement. Let's say you've completely blown up your life, and I'm sitting here today telling you that if you set goals, you can completely reset your life completely within five years. You can be in a dramatically different place in five years. You can be in a dramatically different place in 12 months, but you can be in a significantly different place in five years if you'll set the goals down. Now, all of a sudden, you got hope. You got hope. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought it was all over. You know, so now your goal is to get the goal. So what's my goal? My goal is to find goals, right? To find goals that I can achieve, find goals. So that, that now gives you hope and gives you something to carry on. You get motivated. You get, get up and get moving. I watched a show on uh, Richard Branson. Sherry's got me on this documentary thing on Richard Branson, that airline guy, whatever. But he's doing um, Virgin Galactic, you know, trying to take people into space, which, you know, that's another story. But the, the thing I noticed is they had one of these engineers on there, and this engineer was so committed to the process that he would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and he would work you know, for free and he was doing all this extra stuff. And the reason was because it was something that he had a goal towards. He said, I wanted to put rockets on the, in space all my life. So this kind of lined up with his goal. So he didn't need to find the motivation. It was already there. It lined up with his goal. right? Does that make sense to you? 
what happens is when the goal, somebody said this, when the goal is clear, the price becomes irrelevant. When the goal is clear, the price becomes irrelevant. When the goal is to get closer to the Lord, you'll get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. It may be hard the first few times, but when you start experiencing God in that way, you're going to want that. Because the goal is you're going to start seeing that and you're going to start wanting that. And so the, 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 you know, you're going to move in that direction. Goals create character. So 1 Corinthians 9, almost done. First, first Corinthians, I want to get, we got to do communion. Athletes practice strict self-discipline. They do that to win a prize that fades away. We do, it to run, we do it for an eternal prize. So I run it with the goal of purpose in every step. Say this, Jesus wants character over comfort. This is his desire. And he also wants character over accomplishment. So when God wants you to drive towards a goal, the ultimate thing that God is looking for is not necessarily the accomplishment or the sense of accomplishment, which will come. What God wants to do is develop you with character along the way. Goals, accomplishments Jesus has, right? Comfort is easy for the Lord, right? We have the comforter, but his, what, what, what is in a deficit in the kingdom is character. And so in pursuing a goal, my character develops I start changing. I start learning perseverance. I start learning self-control. I start learning focus. I start learning discipline, self-discipline, right? I see where I'm off, and I keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing until I get there. That's what goals do. Goals develop character. So let's just talk real quick about goals that God blesses. God blesses a certain type of goal. He doesn't bless the glorious goal of you, right? We have pastors and teachers, unfortunately, that teach a message that say, Jesus is all about your dreams. He's not about your dreams. The Lord is not about your dreams. He's about his dream. The Lord isn't about your mission. He's about his mission. We seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, and then all things. We don't seek first your glorious vision, your glorious dream, all of those things. You seek first the kingdom of God with the first realm, and I don't even have time to get into it, but it just bears stating first realm is bringing your life under the dominion of christ bringing your marriage under the dominion of jesus bringing your finances under the dominion of jesus bringing your future under the dominion of jesus is it your future or is it his future right is it your family or is it his family is it what you want or is it what he wants so the first area is bringing your life into the dominion of not what you want but what he wants we seek that and then we seek what is right to him what's right to god Beloved, I wish in all things that you prosper and what? Be in health, even as your soul prospers. What does he want? Well, there's three things he wants. He wants you to prosper, right? He wants you to be in health, and he wants your soul to prosper. Emotionally, he wants prosperity in the relational and emotional realm. Those are three things that he wants. So we seek first what, the dominion of God, and we seek what he wants. What does he want? What does he want? He doesn't want you poor. He doesn't want you broke. You can stay poor. You can stay broke if you want to. It's your choice. It's not God's will that you live in poverty. That's not his will. He's got a way up, a way out, and a way through, period. He specializes in people that are less than zero. That's his specialty. If he can find somebody who's hungry enough that's less than zero that will listen to him and will be patient and follow the process and commit to the process, he'll turn it all around. He'll turn it all around. That's his specialty. What he ends up with oftentimes is people who think they know more than he does. Right? They got a better idea than Jesus. I've been that guy. And over years, <laughs> I have learned I have no good ideas. I tell Jesus, you're the only good idea I have. Let's start with that. What do you want? You know, it's a, it's, I'm, hopefully next week I'm going to show you how to set goals and how to hear God on, on these things. I'm just trying to give you a a connection point to what goals are. Goals create the con. So God blesses goals that bring Him honor. Does this goal bring Him honor? Yes, this goal brings me. You know, is it so? In me having a better marriage, does that bring Him honor? Absolutely, that brings Him honor. It's what God wants. He wants relations. He He doesn't. God hates divorce. We've all heard that, right? He doesn't want divorce. He doesn't want separation. He wants marriages to be functional, and He wants them to work. It's what He wants. So does the goal of having a better relationship matter? Yes. 
Yes, that matters. Does a goal of having, does that honor God? Does a goal of growing and becoming who God wants me to be, does that honor God? Absolutely. So what does the goal do? Does the goal of me being, getting out of, out of uh, survival and into success, does that matter to the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely. His goal isn't even success. I told you that. It's significance. That's the high calling, man. Don't you want to be significant? Right? We got, what, three or four orphanages up here? I don't know how many. I know we got at least two. So what, what it would be if we, like, all the orphanages were sponsored, and you came in and said, I can sponsor 50 kids for the next 10 years. Let's start another orphanage. Would that be significant? You know what I'm saying? Would you be, what, if, what if you could move in that kind of realm? What if you could move in that kind of circle that what you touched went boom? You understand? That's really where he wants us. He wants us there spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially. He wants us there in all of those realms. He wants significance to come for your life. You're born for it. You know it. You know you're born for something significant. You just don't know how to get there, you know, and you're waiting on God. I know I got a purpose in this world. I'm just waiting for the Lord to show it to me. I'm showing it to you. I'm showing it to you. Get out of survival. Get into success and get into significance. Begin to follow that path. Hold the course. Stop thinking you got better ideas. You don't. You don't. You're stuck in a situation. Ask the Lord, what's my way out? What's my way through? What's my way up? Show me the way, Lord. He's going he's gonna to show you the way. Does the, does the goal create the highest good? This is the next question. So God blesses goals that bring him honor. God blesses goals that create the highest good. Love is the highest good. So is there, is, does this goal produce the highest or the common good? Is this a goal that does that? Is this a goal that brings this stuff forth? I don't have time to read all the verses. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let love be, the, be your goal. Um, you know, and everything must be done in love. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. So anyway, just to throw that out there. But, the, you know, love is, so does this, does this produce the highest good? Is this the highest good of my life? Is this the highest good of my family? Is this the highest good of my future? The goal that I'm asking for, is this a higher good? Is this a higher good? That's the question. The third type of goal that God relate, um, blesses is the, the goals that relate, that cause relationship with him. The Lord isn't interested in you having a good idea and off doing it. God wants to get involved in what you're doing. But here's the key, because I see this all the time. I have asked God to get involved. You've asked God to get involved in your life on your terms. That's why God is not involved is because you are setting the terms of the relationship. You don't set the terms of the relationship with Jesus. You understand that? You're going to start setting the terms. Well, this is what I want you to do, and this is what I need you to do, and this is how I want it done. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And then God doesn't listen to me because I've invited him to get involved. No, you're setting the terms. He sets the terms. You don't set the terms. What do you want, Lord? This is what you've put in my heart. Some of you, you have goals. You can't achieve those goals, and you're stopped at a point because you're trying to get God to do something, and instead you should go to the Lord and say, what is it that you want me to do in light of this? Instead of telling God, I need you to do this for me, that's what people do. They do it all the time. So God wants a goal that, you, that, enables, him, that enables him to be involved. That's what God wants. He wants a goal that enables and allows him to be involved. And he wants to do it with you. You can't say it with me. I can't do it without him. And he's not doing it for me. That's a fact. He will do it with you. He will never do it for you. And even when he does it for you, it's because he's been doing it with you. You understand that? You hit a wall, he jumps in, and he does it for you because you're moving in tandem with him. But you're not just going to sit there and tell God to do it for you. Do this for me. He's not doing it without you. If you look at the beginning of creation, Adam was created for relationship. It was always, always, always a divine partnership. Always. Always. And even Jesus was the restoration of the Genesis connection. It was a whole relationship of coming back as sons and daughters and that we're about our father's business. It's an inner relationship with God on all things. Goals that require his spirit to achieve. You can't do it. Not by might, not by power. You need his spirit, his word to guide you. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Then you shall find good success, and then you shall prosper. What's he saying? Joshua 1.8, right? When you start doing what I told you to do, the way is going to open. When you start doing what I told you to do, you're going to prosper. And then when I say that, the American Christian in the, in, the, in the Burger King economy that we have says, I want it now. I did what Jesus told me to do. Where is it? Where is it? No, do what he told you to do. Create a lifestyle that, that extrapolates itself over a lifetime and watch him. The kingdom is a lifestyle. You understand that? 
And then lastly, you need godly people to connect to. You have to have like-minded people. If you want a better marriage, you've got to hang out with people who want a better marriage. If you want a better, if you want, I don't know, if you want a better relationship with Jesus and a more passionate integration with the Lord, you got to find people who want that same thing. If you want a better business, you got to find out people who are business-minded. You can't say this, I cannot become an eagle by going to turkey school. <laughs> you're not going to be an eagle if you're going to turkey school, right? It's not going to happen. You have to, ha you have to put yourself in a position to succeed with other people who are like-minded, iron on iron, right? Direction on direction. Most people, they tend, to, they tend to move to the lowest denominator. You've got to move to a higher denominator, we were talking yesterday at the picnic, and I was talking about entrepreneurs and how entrepreneurs think differently. And so it's very difficult a lot of times for entrepreneurs to work with other people, because of, and, and then they don't get it, because other people don't think like an entrepreneur. But when you get entrepreneurs to start talking to each other, the room lights up because they think differently. right? It's like a bunch of computer geeks, or you get this band over here. They start talking about all this tech stuff. Oh, man, I got this. You know, they, they're talking to me, and I'm just like, what? It's like, it's like Chinese to me, what they're talking about. But then they start talking to each other, and they're like a bunch of gearheads. You know, they understand the common language. They speak a common language. You have to find people who speak that common language or computer nerds. Anybody know any of those? They all get around. They start IT guys start talking internet technology, and they're like, oh, well, you got to run the system this way. And I'm just like, what? I don't even have any idea of that. Business is more my thing. Entrepreneurial stuff is more my thing. I, I get that real easy. I speak that language. I understand that community and that crossroad. But the point is that if you don't have other people around you to connect you, you're going to fall. Three chord forward is not easily broken. Let me give you two quick examples. Can I do that? Yes. It's a holiday, at least for some of you anyway. Let me give you two quick examples. So I'm trying to show you the importance of goals. And next week, I want to try to show you how to set them and how to program or how to automate goals. Don't you want an automated goal? where stuff starts coming to you, it is possible, and it is biblical. The opportunities will just come to you. That's what this girl was telling me. She said opportunities just started coming to me. It's crazy. You know, There's a way to, to do that where, the, where, where you're positioning your heart in this place, and things start coming to you. Opportunities start coming to you. It's truth. So here's just two examples of people this week that I talked to about goals. I asked this person, you know, they're telling me they're frustrated with their life and all this other stuff, and I almost kind of come back to this point when people say they're frustrated. I'm like, what do you want and why do you want it? What is it that you want and why do you want it? And this person, the first person to tell me this week, I just want 2023 to be better than 2022. I had a really bad year, right? That's what the person told me. And I said, well, what does that look like? So what exactly does a better 2023 look like? Right? So I want it to be a better year financially. Great. What does that look like? So the goal is to have a better year financially. Let's look at that. I want it to be better, you know, with my family. You know, I don't like all this chaos. I don't like all this dysfunction. I don't like all this craziness that goes on in my family. Okay, so this is the goal. You know, the goal is to eliminate the chaos and the, you know, the how-tos is a different story. But it's trying to show this person to find out what you want and why you want it. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And here's the default. I just want peace. I want peace, pastor. And people go, hey, pray for my friend. I look at him and say, what can I do for you? And they're saying, I want you to pray for me. Okay, great. So what, what, what can the Lord do for you? Well, I just want whatever he wants. Okay, that's great. So what is it that you want that we can give, that Jesus wants to give you? What, you, what is it that you want? I want whatever he wants. I just want peace. Until you get specific, nothing's changing. You got to be specific. You got to be real. You got to be honest and you got to move from there. What do you want? Why do you want it? And here's another one. I had a guy tell me just recently, he said, I just really don't want to be like my father. People say, oh, what a hard thing that is. What are, that's, you should say that. No, you should say that. Because if your father was greedy, if your father was godless, if your father was irresponsible, if your father was fearful, then you shouldn't want to be like that. So that becomes a motivator. Because you're seeing what you don't want. I don't want to be like that. Well, what is it about that that you don't want? I don't want to live a life in fear. All he, his whole life he lived in fear. His whole life he had excuses. Okay, so one of the goals this year is to be fearless. One of the goals this year is to eliminate excuses. So that becomes your goal set. This is how you set goals. You understand what I'm saying to you? 
It's not like this arcing business plan, I'm going to start the next Google. You know, hey, that's great. What a goal. Let's do that. You know, I mean, I, you know, whatever. But the goal is like even taking it down to this interpersonal level and finding out what you want and why you want it. I want to be closer to the Lord this year. Fantastic. That's a great goal. Let's write that down. Okay, so how, now what does that look like? What are you currently doing that's interfering with that? What do you need to do that's more than like that? What's in the, you know, you start parsing it out, and what you start doing is you're doing a process of elimination. You're getting rid of the things that don't need to be there so that you can focus on the thing that you want and the things that bring you closer to your goal. Netflix isn't going to bring you closer to your goal unless you're, writing, you're watching something that's educational. You know, there are educational things. I mean, good Lord, how-to videos on YouTube. I mean, you could, you could go to, you could get a PhD. You could get a, be a university grad by watching YouTube videos. You could take a car apart and put it back together. This guy takes a whole car apart and puts it back together. 12-part series, how to take a car apart and put it back together. I'm like, man, I could take a car apart and put it back together. You know what I mean? So feed yourself with things that you want, the things that are taking you away from your goal. What's keeping you there? What is it? I just get afraid all the time. Okay, let's deal with the reasons why you're afraid. Right? It's identify the goal, identify what you want, identify what needs to change, what the barriers are for you to get to that goal. That, that's how these things happen. And then there's the automation process, which is going to take me a lot longer to explain than I actually have. And so, but it, it can happen. It can happen. Do you believe that? Yeah. All right. So here's your goal. Here's your goal for this week. Let's see who the 5% is in the room. Right? I didn't even bring up two weeks ago and ask you if any 5%ers are here. The 5% in this room are going to write down what they want and why they want it. 5% of you will do this, right? I didn't even give this the first service. I probably should have, you know, but I didn't. <laughs> I'm going to say second service is the 5%. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, amen. <laughs> so what do you want and why do you want it? What do you mean? What do you want for your family? Why do you want it? What do you want financially? Why do you want it? What do you want for your future? Why do you want it? What do you want? What do you want for your, for your um, relationships? What do you want? Why do you want it? What do you want for the faith? What kind of Christian do you want to be? What kind of daughter do you want to be? What kind of son? What do you want? Why do you want it? Just can be generic. It can be generic. Just do it. Do the process. Start the process. Write down your goals and be that 5%. Only 5% will do it. Everybody say it. Write it down. People go, no, no, I lock it in my mind. I'll just share this with you, and I know I got to go. Communion is on. But the, the idea is, so Harvard did this research study decades ago, and they uh, surveyed a bunch of business school grads, and they asked them how many had goals. 16% um, of them had clear goals. 3% of them had written the goals down. They go back and they visit the same group of people. They take it like as an ecosystem and they study it later. And they go back maybe 10 years later or some period of time that they went back. And they found that the 16% who actually had goals had achieved most, if not all of them. But the 3% who had written the goals down had 10 times more earning power than the people who never wrote them down. They were earning 10 times the money that any of the other group was earning because they wrote it down. Habakkuk says, write the vision, make it plain. So that when you read it, you can run with it. And though it tarry, though it delays, wait for it, for it will come. Yeah? Do you understand that? So some of you will go, I'm going to lock it in my mind. Say this with me. The dullest pencil is greater than the sharpest mind. Write it down. Right? So that's my challenge to you. Amen? So we want to bless you. We want to honor you guys watching us by live stream. We're going to close the stream, and then we're going to do communion. And so I just want to bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. God loves you. Have a great week. Right. Yes. <laughs> so my goal is to help you. <laughs> so tomorrow is uh, Martin Luther King Day. Something that uh, sort of God's laid on my heart, and I was talking it over with Shelly. Oh, there he is. Is that, um, you know, holidays, we tend to have a lot of holidays on Mondays. I said, so what if we did communion around those holidays and we created direct prayers related to that holiday?